Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Winter is coming, as they say. Actually, winter's already here. And here we are for another episode of the Legal Toolkit on the Legal Talk Network. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're a first-time listener, let's make this a habit. I'm your host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I'm also the Assistant Director and Senior Law Practice Advisor with the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. You can buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, from the American Bar Association on iTunes or at Amazon. My co-host, Heidi Alexander, is going to be back with you again next month. On the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. Analytics is a term you've probably heard. It's basically data analysis, which is focused on distilling information useful for improving processes and decision-making, often in a business context. To place this in a pop culture context, if you've read the book or seen the movie Moneyball, you probably know what I'm talking about. Today, we're going to talk about the application of analytics in law firms, and we're fortunate to have two guests on the program today. Patrick Fuller is our first guest, and he's the Director of Corporate Solutions for DataCert, Metrics Legal, Analytics. That's DataCert, Metrics Legal, Analytics. Patrick has made an art form of translating big data into intelligence for use in business development and organizational strategy. He has more than 17 years of experience in the legal profession. Prior to joining DataCert, Patrick served as the Vice President of Product and Market Strategy for Content Pilot. Before that, he was a senior consultant in the client growth strategy practice at Law Vision Group, as well as being a consultant with Hildebrandt Consulting. He also served as the Global Managing Director of the Monitor Suite, competitive intelligence platform, which he helped launch for Thomson Reuters Hubbard One. Patrick's a frequent speaker within the legal industry, and he holds a BS degree in kinesiology slash management from the College of the Ozarks. And by the way, Patrick, I love that area of the country. I'm in southwestern Missouri quite a bit. Bill Sawinski is the Director of Decision Support Services for DataCert Time Metrics. In that capacity, he works with clients to structure and analyze their legal data, facilitating the development and deployment of measured strategies and supporting policies designed to improve performance. Bill has been with DataCert Time Metrics for over a decade. Before that, he was Vice President of Litigation Management and Claim Legal Operations for the St. Paul Fire and Marine Insurance Company. He also served nine years as Assistant General Counsel of Owens Corning Fiberglass. He began his career as an insurance defense trial lawyer before joining G.D. Sterling Company, a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical firm. Bill is a 1976 graduate of Marquette University Law School. And who doesn't love Milwaukee? Go Bucks, right? So Patrick and Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great uh, thank to have you for having me. Oh, our pleasure, our pleasure. So first off, gentlemen, I think we should start by defining some terms. Patrick, your word is kinesiology. Did I pronounce it correctly? And what does it mean? Kinesiology. Yeah, you did. You did. Yeah, and it's it's a very fancy way of saying that it's the study of human movement. And uh, particularly for me, really got into the biomechanics related to uh, sports. So that's oh, that's okay. really where a lot of my focus was in college. 
I got you. Okay. So you took a lot of golf etiquette classes is what you're saying? <laughs> no, a lot of it was, you know, if, if you think of in terms of baseball, I played baseball. And, you know, one of the things we used to define hitting is the sequential unlocking of body parts to maximize bat speed at the point of contact. And so, you know, my thought was, okay, how can I make those body parts unlock faster and with greater force and have a swing that, that has better velocity to increase the amount of force that's applied to the ball? You know, how can I make myself a better hitter? How can I make myself a more powerful hitter? And that got, got me into that field of study in college. Oh, listen, look at that. I peaked in Little League at AJ, but I was really good then. So, so Bill, <laughs> do you want to tell us some stories about Al McGuire, or should we hold off for later? Uh, actually, uh, I went to school with his son, Allie McGuire. Oh, really? I'll oh, see. Look at that. Excellent. Yeah, back at Marquette, I went to high school and to uh, college with Allie. Wow, look at that. So you're connected with the family. I, I didn't even know that. I just threw that question out there. <laughs> you're at the McGuire family barbecue, right? <laughs> yeah, those are good years. <laughs> All right, so let's get that out of the way. I feel better now. Now, as for you two, the pop quiz portion of the show is over, so there'll be no more questions like that. However, I want to talk to you about law firm fees and revenue. What trends have you guys been tracking in those categories of recent vintage? Well, I'll, I'll start off with this one here, and you know, we, we track a number of things, both individually and, and also collectively as, as an organization and as a company. Individually, one of the things that I've been tracking uh, for a number of years and writing about is has to do with the AMLAW 200. So the American lawyer ranks the, uh, the top 200 U.S.-based law firms by their total revenue, and there's a lot of other metrics that are put in there, such as the revenue, you know, average revenue per lawyer and profits per equity partner and, you know, leverage number of attorneys, you know, partners versus associates, that type of thing. And to me, that's, there, there's a treasure trove of metrics in there that really are interesting and emblematic of the rest of the market. You know, they're very reflective of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so one of the things, and we kind of alluded to this on the webinar when we did it, uh, last year uh, related to building the analytical framework was we looked at, you know, what's, what's the cause of this, right? We see the impact as revenue. Over the last couple of decades, we've seen steady increases in the amount of filings at the USPTO, for example, and we've seen the M&A um, markets and their increase. And that has a direct correlation to the amount of revenue that's being generated because especially with M&A, that's such a feeder practice for a lot of big firms creates a lot of work in various areas such as, you know, real estate and employment and that type of thing. And so we've seen these, a lot of these increases manifest themselves in the AMLA 200. And so the biggest thing, I think there's probably two big takeaways here on this in terms of the AMLA revenue, and that is that over the last 10 years, we've seen the collective revenue of the AMLA 200, in fact, from 2003 to 2013, it increased 84%. So during that period, it went from, you know, 49 billion to 92 billion in total revenue of all 200 firms. And that's important because during that same period, the Fortune 500 only showed an increase of 72%, right? So you have, you have the, the AMLA 200, that index, showing, you know, better revenue growth than the primary client base. Yeah, and, you know, sorry. if you compare it to other areas, I mean, it was even more than, than you know, the NBA revenue or the NFL revenue growth during the same period. 
But within that lies, I think, a bigger problem, and that's a lot of what we'll, we'll end up talking about today, is that, you know, what was the division of that revenue? You know, so it's going up at a breakneck pace, but what we've seen is the top 25%, the AMLA top 50, you know, 10 years ago, they were getting roughly 52% of all that revenue. So it was a 52 to 48% split between the AMLA top 50 and the bottom 150. And as of last year, that had actually grown to 59% to 41%. So, you know, we're we're really close to seeing a 60-40 split. And that has a lot of implications, which we'll talk about, because you end up having um, a lot of that uh, revenue share being uh, at the very top of that, which means that you have roughly 150 firms or a segment that's made up of 150 firms that are getting a decreasing share of a rapidly increasing market, which leads to a lot of complexity and brings into focus the use of a lot of things related to analytics and metrics. See, look at that. Your kinesiology degree is coming in handy right now. Um, now, Bill, do you have anything to add? That summarizes that well. What we're helping uh, our clients focus on, I, I, I uh, work more with the corporate side, mm-hmm. is, is uh, I work with our corporations to help them identify those law firms that they want to retain uh, you know, for a particular book of business and help them identify you know, which law firms do have some differentiator. Uh, you know, which law firms do provide them some special, uh, you know, benefit that they can't get from other law firms and how this impacts, um, at least the clients I work with. Um, mm-hmm. It's no longer just a beauty show. It's no, no longer just a relationship. Uh, you know, without question, you know, those things are important. But more and more, as a result of, you know, the types of clients with whom I work, folks are beginning to ask for more granular information more sort of uh, show-me type information. And for, you know, several clients, that's becoming a differentiator you know, relative to uh, retaining a law firm or splitting the business. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right, so let's move on to the next question then. So what does the data mean? What does that data that you just described specifically mean for law firms using or wishing to use analytics in their practices? You know, as I said before, I work with corporations, and they've sort of got it easy. Uh, you know, when we take a look at corporate uh, uh, data, you know, we look at it, you know, from the perspective of the corporation. What do you want to accomplish? Um, you know, how do you want to manage uh, your legal book? Um, you know, how do you want to save money? So it's, you know, very self-focused. But Patrick can address this, you know, better than I can. But one of the complexities I know that law firms have is that they have to sort of keep two sets of books. They have to, uh, uh, not in any bad sense, um, but, yeah. but they have to both understand their corporate clients or prospective corporate clients. You know, they have to protect their business and then they have to go out and they have to seek new business. And to do that, they need to understand corporations, uh, you know, their, their growth areas, their needs, their existing law firms and so on. But in addition to that, law firms need to understand their own practices internally. So that's what I mean by two sets of books. You know, yeah. they need to have good data relative to, uh, you know, how to grow their business. Um, information, you know, outside of their law firm, but they also need to have extraordinarily good information about their law firm, about their individuals, mm-hmm. how they handle their cases. And more and more, um, the corporate clients are asking, you know, that the law firms get uh, more and more specific. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Patrick? 
Yeah, I, I think Bill hit it right on the head, and I think there's there's one other part that I'll, I'll point to, and you know, we talked about it, you know, as I talked about just a second ago with the changing dynamics, and you have a group that is getting decreasing share of a rapidly increasing market, and, and the complexity that creates. But what it also does is it creates an opportunity, especially with analytics, because numbers know no ideology, right? Numbers mm-hmm. have yep. no inherent ideology. So that level of complexity really presents an opportunity to sell change internally much more effectively. The one thing that, that everybody listening to this knows is that if there, when you look up risk-averse professions in the dictionary, there's a picture of a law firm. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's something that we're aware of. It's a risk-averse and change-averse profession. And so what this enables us to do, because the numbers are, are not part of any inherent ideology, is it is you know, utilizing the metrics and the analytics, it's, it's easier at that point to sell change internally. Most people mm-hmm. buy with emotion and justify with logic, right? We've, we've all experienced that as consumers. But certain professions, and lawyers are, are into this very much, tend to buy with logic first before they get emotionally attached. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes an inherent, to me, it becomes a really integral part of selling the need to change internally because as we're going to talk about throughout this, and Bill sort of hit on already, uh, with how the clients are going back to the law firms and requesting certain amounts of information, the practice of law is still going to be the practice of law, but the business of law has changed tremendously over the last 20 years. And so that is something that when you start selling change to a risk-averse and change-averse group, you have to have something that is going to be what you're going to convince the logical aspect of that with, and that's where the analytics come in. Makes a lot of sense, and and with analytics being so brand new, perhaps there's an opportunity to set the ideology here. All right, so let's talk practically. So for law firms that want to implement analytics, what's the preferred strategy? Can you guys sort of lay out a hypothetical roadmap for implementation, uh, potentially including some management systems that would need to be put in place? Yeah, I think the first thing that we have to figure out is what's the business problem we're going to try and solve for. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I always used to ask as a consultant when I'd walk in and, and begin one of these is, help me understand now what you're going to say no to. <laughs> because if, if I understand what is absolutely off the table, then that gives me a lot more uh, freedom to be able to put things on the table. And so that's, that's typically where I start. You know, sometimes that means that we have to recognize the need to change and you have to build the case. And you know, I go back to selling that, that notion of change internally. But in some cases, yeah. they've already accepted that fact. And now it's really going to be about, okay, what are you going to say no to? To me, that's a fundamental starting point because we can go through all of the, the uh, applications that Bill just you know, puts them together perfectly in, in, in his book but we can go through all the applications of the legal management model, for example, and if they're not buying what we're selling at the end of that, then we've wasted a lot of time and a lot of money. So to me, that's the first thing we have to figure out is how's it going to be used, what's their appetite for usage, and what business problems yeah. are we trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Now, Bill, do you want to add to that? sounds like process is probably where you would fit in there, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, when a law firm uh, you know, approaches a, a corporation, the metrics portion of it can be important. You know, sometimes it is not important. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's becoming more and more important. And, and partially it's because of you know, what I do and how I work with my clients. Just, yeah. just, to, just to put a little bit of a background, when I work with clients working with Timetrics Data Cert, uh, we provide them a matter management system, and then we also provide them an invoicing system. 
And when you take a look at the information that you can capture on a per matter basis, you capture all sorts of important information, the matter type, the jurisdiction, the severity of the matter, all of that sort of information. And then you marry that with how that those matters were built, what law firm builds you, what level of timekeeper builds you, whether you're a senior partner, a junior partner, an associate, what did they bill you, how many hours did they bill you, what sort of things did they bill you for. Yeah. But the important thing is that is all then combined together in a reporting tool. And so that information that used to be impossible to get is now simply it's transparent. You can get it literally in a second. And uh, Patrick and I have given presentation after presentation identifying two law firms, the sorts of information that their clients can know about them. And all of the lawyers who see that, their eyes just get large. You know, they don't realize the level of information, the granularity, and the uh, outcome level information that is at the fingertips of the uh, corporations. And as the corporations get more and more sophisticated, they are going to be expecting that their law firms are equally sophisticated because all of that information that the corporations have, or virtually all of it, the law firms have. But the law firms are not farming it. They're not using it. They're not building as much structure around it as their corporate clients are. And it's, uh, I think, mostly because it's not a technical problem. I think it's mostly because their clients have never demanded it from them before. But I can assure you that their clients will be demanding it on a go-forward basis. Um, you know, they're going to want to know. If I give you a 100,000-document uh, discovery project, what is it going to cost per page? How much is it going to cost? They're going to want to know that. And, uh, you know, by and large, those sorts of questions aren't asked now, but they will be. Yeah. When Patrick was uh, referring to information and, and data and so on, it's collecting the right information, understanding it, being able to use it to answer the sorts of questions you're going to get more and more frequently, and that some folks are getting now, you know, through RFPs and being on top of it uh, because that is now and it's going to be more and more differentiator. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, this will all be solved, by the way, right, when corporations are allowed to own law firms? Well, I guess that's a topic for another day, right? <laughs> There's one point that Bill brought up that I want to hit on real quick because I think it's, it's really sure. important, and, and that is, you know, Bill talked about the eyes wide open, you know, and, and how, how the pupils get really big when they look at information. And part of that is the power of that is in the aggregation because when you take something that is by itself, looking at it in a vacuum, you wouldn't think twice about. But you look at it through the prism of a lot of aggregated data, and you realize the volume that's associated with it. And so mm-hmm. if for time and billing, it could be something that's at, at a tenth of an hour, right? Or it could be you know, one type of matter, or you know, so, so-and-so is doing a certain amount of work for this firm, or the number of relationships that we have at a certain company, and it's like, oh, we just know one person. But you start looking at all this data, you start aggregating it up together, and all of a sudden you start to see some trends that can be really disturbing. And I liken it a lot to, for better or for worse, to uh, hidden calories. You don't think much about that 25 calories. But if you yeah. have 100 different pieces of that around the holidays, it's 25 calories. Suddenly you're, you're approaching you know, 3,000, know, 2,500 to 3,000 calories, and that results in a pound of weight. And that's something that I think we're, we start to see a lot of with law firm clients and corporate clients alike is when they look at the data that's been aggregated over a period of time, sliced and diced and whittled down even into consumable pieces, 
it's still eye-opening to them because now they're looking at it differently than they would just one piece of information on its own. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you convinced me. I put down the Snickers bar, and we're going to take up this conversation after the break. When we come back, we're going to have more on making the most of analytics in the legal field with Patrick Fuller and Bill Swinsky. This is normally the space in our show when we offer words from sponsors, and this potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. The Legal Toolkit is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. If you're interested, contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at legaltalknetwork.com. All right, welcome back. We're joined today by Patrick Fuller and Bill Swinsky, and we're talking about the application of analytics in the legal field. By the way, did I tell you guys I'm wearing a cheese head when I'm doing this podcast? God's honest <laughs> truth. Me too. <laughs> All right, look at that. All right, two Wisconsin natives and one wannabe Wisconsin native. <laughs> uh, last we left off, we were discussing a model that law firms might apply to implement analytics in their law firms at least with respect to fees and revenue, but I think we got beyond that as well a little bit. So I guess the, the key question then is, how would law firms benefit from the adoption of such a model? Patrick and I have talked about this uh, often. And the, the way that we sort of look at it is metrics and analytics are essential, and it will become more and more essential for a law firm, both as uh, an offensive tool, you know, securing additional business, um, but also as a defensive tool. Um, making certain that when somebody asks you, you know, why should I hire you as opposed to, you know, any of the other 20 law firms, uh, you know, within the skyscrapers in downtown Manhattan, it's just not good enough anymore, or in some instances, it's not good enough anymore to say I have better quality, better cost, better service, better speed, better innovation. Those are all, you know, anecdotal stories. Everybody's got good stories. You know, so um, law firms, um, should begin to appreciate that utilizing metrics uh, provides them a differentiator. And not only can they present their case more effectively to a, a potential corporate client, but internally, you know, if they capture the correct information, if they know how historically they've staffed cases, uh, you know, what certain tasks cost, what level of resource, you know, can be most cost effective just internally what sort of folks from some of their satellite offices might be able to perform some of the services that are, are necessary for managed? Mm-hmm. If they can analyze and generate that information quickly and with a business intelligence tool, you know, with good matter management information, good invoice information that they capture, if they can analyze it uh, quickly, they put themselves in a position to be able to address requests and opportunities very quickly, knowing that there is profit margin, an acceptable profit margin there, you know, especially relative to uh, RFPs or if you're you know, competing with uh, another law firm. If you know what's profitable, uh, you know how to uh, structure your proposition. But you can only do that with good information. So metrics as a differentiator. I like that. All right, so let's move on to talking about some technology tools here. What technology tools are available to law firms seeking to apply analytics, and how can law firms best use those tools in practice? Well, I think most of the technology tools are going to address different aspects of the business of law. So let's start first with the legal information related to 
um, who's doing the work for whom, you know, what type of work is out there. And, you know, companies right now, uh, the major information provider uh, companies, so West and Thompson, you know, Lexus, Bloomberg, all have tools that will aggregate uh, information from publicly available databases. So the court yep. systems, both federal and state, the USPTO, the European um, Patent Office, the EPO, the uh, uh, and then you know data from you know Live Edgar, the SEC, uh, mm-hmm. as well as through some of their you know, various types of databases for private deals. So all that that information's out there. Uh, it's been out there for about ten years, uh, and where law firms and companies both, by the way, can utilize this to be able to understand trends happening in markets. Uh, right, so you know, it, for a law firm in particular, hey, we're going to go pitch ABC company uh, for a specific type of work. Great, who have they been using to do this work in years past? You know, what other work is that firm doing for that company? Where are the lawyers that are doing that work based? Um, what judges have they been in front of? You know, how do we compare to that? That type of thing. That's out there. Um, that's typically something that that sits in usually business development and the library functions. You know, the other one is, you know, when you get into types of intelligence and information, gets into the pricing and financial side, which is what we do a lot of work in now uh, yeah. as well. And that is, is you know, what's the market going to bear for this work? Um, how should, you know, as Bill's kind of alluded to, how should we be staffing this, both for our own internal profitability uh, as well as being competitive in the market? What is the market bearing for this work? That and there's there's a host of other financial tools uh, yeah. as well, and those typically are housed in into finance, and that's one of the bigger challenges that exists is we mm-hmm. still have silos, right? So it's it's a yes. challenge in a lot of organizations because you have to de-silo some of that data. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people don't want to have the financial data, you know, exposed, you know, too much w- within the firm, um, and so that becomes a challenge. And then the third part of this is really uh, something that's been probably the last four or five years has really taken greater prominence. That is information related to relationships and in mm-hmm. understanding who do we know in the market, not just contacts through a traditional CRM system, but actually relationships as well. Because that's yeah. a lot of information that can be utilized. And then the final part is going to be collecting experience. And Bill kind of talked about that. And to me, that's, that's yeah. one of the biggest differentiators or one of the areas where you can create demand around differentiation. And that's really the key, right? All this stuff matters from a business development perspective on your ability or the ability of your attorneys to create demand around where you're different. Because if not, you are falling right into the commodity trap. Okay, I don't see any difference between these seven firms. Who's Mm -hmm. offering us the best price? But if you're able to create demand around where there's a sliver of differentiation and it doesn't take much, your experience becomes that thing that's that logical justification that I talked about earlier. And that's really, so law firms that are able to have really robust and uh, strong uh, experience collection systems and be able to utilize that, those are the ones that are really getting ahead because they are also the ones that are marrying and de-siloing, if that's even a word, <laughs> de-siloing some of, some of the functions inside their firms into where, yeah, well, it is now. We just coined it on this podcast, which is great. <laughs> that's right. uh, but what they're doing is, is they're taking that experience and they're utilizing it with the financial market data that's provided by a data search, time metrics, legal analytics, or by the you know, market-based 
uh, intelligence that they're pulling from a Thompson or a Lexus or a Bloomberg or yeah. uh, they're pulling from um, cap- Capital IQ or whatever it might be. They're getting this data, they're marrying it with their own experience, and they're able to see, okay, where do we want to attack? Where do we have a, a strength that our competitors don't? And how can we best make money on this engagement by putting the right team together that's going to be profitable for us and beneficial to the client? Pretty good, Bill. I mean, that was really an unfair question, but I think you answered it pretty well in the truncated space of time. And we have a neologism on the podcast, which is always good. So I think they say uh, data abhors a silo. Is that right? I think I've heard that somewhere before. So I got one more question for you guys. Talking about firm size, most of what we talked about so far is Amlot 200, big law firms. Let me ask you this. Data's out there, even for small and solo law firms. Is there a realistic model that those firms could adopt, not to achieve the same ends necessarily that big firms do, but to utilize data in a more effective way? Okay, there's a couple of things. And Bill, this is really where I think you would love to hear a little bit more from you know, mm-hmm. talking about the evaluate, build, and deploy the disciplined approach because I think that that model fits in regardless of firm size. And Bill yeah. will expound upon that. I think that the challenge that small firms face, and on one hand, you know, some of the tools that I've described are going to be pricey, and they might not be yes. pricey if you have, you know, billion dollars or two billion dollars in revenue. You're not really looking at them as going, oh, that's that's not a lot of money. The other part with, with those firms, and we talk about the MLA 200 firms and really the MLA 100 firms as well, you know, the, the price of the product or the platform is not big, but you also have the collective impact of the professional staff that's going to be able to utilize it. And a lot of those, you know, those people are fairly well compensated. Smaller firms, that was always to me the biggest challenge, and that's why you see a lot of consultants that work with smaller firms um, is because they don't have – the fiscal capabilities of purchasing, you know, $300,000 a year worth of technology platforms and data platforms to be able to pull a lot of this data that I've described in, and then also, you know, have a couple hundred thousand dollars or more in professional staff salaries that are going to help implement and utilize this within their firm. That's just not something that's going to be realistic. And so you can still, though, build that approach to using the data that you have, that you collect, if you do it the right way. And that's really where Bill, where where his model really comes into focus and and hits it out of the park for firms. Well, how's that for a segue, Bill? (laughs) Well, you know, we talked before, you know, about law firms. Um, You know, I use the anarchical term, you know, needing two sets of books. One is knowledge about themselves, and then, you know, the second is the ability to uh, acquire information about, you know, the outside world, the things that, you know, Patrick talked a lot about. And there's, there's no cost barrier, you know, to a small firm capturing information about itself. And there's all yeah. sorts of manner management systems and invoicing systems. Um, all that requires is just, um, you know, some, some planning and, uh, you know, some uh, discipline uh, and, and data capture. Um, and so you can generate all sorts of information. So you have the perfect talk line, and it's not cost prohibitive. You know, so then where it gets a little bit tougher is, um, you know, where do you identify, you know, your your areas of, of opportunity, and, and can you bring in some outside uh, information? Yeah. Well, um, one of the advantages smaller law firms have is they're very much relationship driven. So you want to leverage mm-hmm. that. And to the extent that you need some additional uh, outside information, you, know, you simply have to do a cost-benefit analysis. If uh, a smaller firm 
you know, generates two or three additional clients a year, that's huge to those firms. It's, it's not to a large firm, but it is to those folks. So fortunately, you know, the scale that you're looking at also helps reduce your cost. You know, but the most important thing, and uh, you know, the thing more and more clients are looking for, is law firms who understand their cost structure. And, and mm-hmm. you as a law firm putting yourself in a position to understand how you can price out business to be profitable. And there's no barrier to a small firm to be able to do that. Yeah, that, that, great point, Bill, I think. Uh, and that's a good way to end the show today, I believe. So we did it. We talked about data analytics for about a half an hour. Nobody nodded off, at least to my knowledge. Um, and so that must mean that we've reached the end of this episode of the Legal Toolkit. Now, keep in mind that you can check out all of our shows anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thank you both very much, Patrick Fuller and Bill Sawinski, for taking the time to address this topic with me today. Patrick, Bill, pleasure. can you tell... Oh, great, great. I, I enjoyed talking to you guys as well. So Patrick and Bill... Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you, you very much. Great. Can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about DataCert Time Metrics? For the Time Metrics Legal Analytics, you can go uh, on the web to uh, uh, timemetrics.com. Uh, T-Y-M-E-E-T-R-I-X dot com and go under legal analytics and you'll see information on both decision support services, which is Bill's department, and legal analytics, which is mine. There are all sorts of uh, links and publications um, that I think folks might find useful and all sorts of contact information. That's what a website's for, right? You know, it's 2015 now. Go to the website, check it out. These sales pitches become so much easier over time, right? Thank you both again for appearing on the show today. I really thought it was a great discussion. And thanks, everybody out there, for listening in today. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.